All right, here we go. This is going to be a fun, fun episode. Um, you are looking right now at my splash page. Um, I want to uh, just sort of head things off here really quickly. I want to welcome everybody who is on my, uh, not just my YouTube audience, which I'm happy to have, but now StreamYard is uh, nice enough to, there we go. <laughs> Hi guys. Um, is nice enough to uh, allow multiple streaming right now, which I think is probably one of the greatest features they've ever added. Thank you, Gage. Uh, he's a guy that is the, uh, I believe he's at least one of two guys who are partners in the StreamYard family. Um, let's see. Um, I'm waiting on Sam right now. I haven't seen him just yet. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the religion and red uh, religion and the red pill. Uh, I got a lot of um, a lot of um, requests uh, when I was talking about my book last show, which was actually on Sunday. I did roll uh, solo with Rolo on Sunday. Uh, Pat Campbell had some previous uh, responsibilities he had to take care of, so uh, we gave him the day off. Uh, and so part of that show on Sunday, I was talking about um, my fourth and upcoming book. And as some of you know, and maybe some of you don't know, um, I have a fourth upcoming book that is actually titled uh, The Rational Male Religion, and it is going to be a... Um, it's going to be the fourth part in the Rational Mail series, and um, I'll give you guys a little bit of a breakdown as to why I decided on that topic, um, and so I can move on a little bit with this. Uh, I, I, As some of you already know, I have another show on this channel, on the YouTube channel anyways, called uh, Religion and the Red Pill, or Red Pill and Religion, I can't remember how I phrase that. Uh, I have done a few interviews, one with a an actual honest-to-goodness rabbi, Rabbi Kaba. He's a really good friend of mine and keeps in touch with me on um, email and bounces ideas off of me and sends me all kinds of articles. Um, I have uh, quite a few people. Like when, when people started hearing that I was writing a book about the red pill with respect to religion, um, I got people coming out of the woodwork. I had uh, I had Muslims coming to me. I had Jews coming to me. I had Christians of all different franchises coming to me. Um, I had Buddhists. I had uh, even some Krishna guys, uh, actually women coming to me. And I, I did not you know, tell you something, just a little side note here. I had no idea how popular um, Hare Krishna is amongst Western women right now. It's another part of the book I had to add. I'm actually kind of glad that I took my time with this book because there's so much to include. Um, but I had all these guys coming out of the woodwork and they were just telling me how great it was that I was doing this and that they wanted to make sure, of course, that their, um, that their, their religion was represented in some way in the book. And, um, I'm, I'm planning on doing that, of course. Um, I am, I'm planning on doing a, a interview with a few notable Muslims from the, uh, the Red Pillar of the Manosphere community, the, the guys that I follow, and they follow me back. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually thinking about doing a, um, uh, an interview with both of these guys uh, who are um, friends of mine. Uh, at the same time, so we can sort of do some breakdown. But today I'm going to have Sam Bada on here in a little while. Um, he is the voice behind all of my Audible books. So whenever you listen to any of my Audible books, that is, uh, this is the voice. You'll, you'll actually be able to put a face to the voice now. 
Um, I think it's funny because a lot of people will listen to my audible books and they'll think that that's me reading them. And it's uh, definitely not me. I don't have the voice for that. I'm not a voice actor. I, I definitely can appreciate the art form for sure. Um, I listen to a lot of uh, audio books and I like it when I'm, and, you know, it's not, and I listen to a lot of different things on audio too. It's not just, uh, you know, um, self-improvement stuff or you know it's not me trying to keep up with the with whatever the latest philosophy stuff is i mean i listen to like fiction and stuff as well and i like i i, I think i have developed a pretty uh good appreciation uh for people who are voice talents and, and sam has always been um a a good friend of mine and has done professional voice work for pretty much his entire professional life. He was, I'll let him explain the whole story himself, but he was a professional voice guy for, um, I want to say it was KFI. He probably will correct me on this, but this was like way back. And I think in like the late eighties, early nineties. And he was, um, part of, uh, he was doing talk radio or something. And this was back in the early days when it was all terrestrial radio. So, um, I will, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit more when it's time for, um, time to talk about that with with pat or excuse me with pat with uh with sam um so as soon as he shows up we'll we'll get him on here but anyways um so the the topic of today's show is i didn't i wanted to set this apart from my regular show which is called um or my other it's, it's like my on again off again show which is the religion religion and red pill show um, I had George Bruno on there um, as a Christian participant at one point. Um, I'm planning on having uh, Pat Campbell on, and I, we're going to sort of reverse the roles here because I'm going to be the interview this time because he's Catholic, and I kind of need to get a Catholic perspective. Uh, I started that channel. I started, I shouldn't say channel. I started that show because I wanted to open a conversation about how the red pill and how intersexual dynamics works in a in respect to uh, religion and why we believe the things that we do and why we came to some of the practices and the doctrines and such um, and today we'll probably talk a little bit more about um, talk a little bit more about uh, Christianity and um, I've I've had a really I've had an interesting past when with respect to christianity i do i do consider myself a christian I, at least uh, if i'm if i'm going to call myself any kind of faith I, honestly i don't know what i am I, i'm not a catholic i don't know if I, I don't know if i really follow along with a lot of um like like I, I call i call a lot of the branches of christianity's franchises because that's really what they are because religion has become so commercialized right now that um it's almost indistinguishable from uh from a franchise these days um so and i and i realize this i i'm not just trying to pick on just christianity today but today's actually today is going to be about christianity um and i wanted to start um I, I think i'll just dig in here a little bit until sam gets here but i wanted to start with a few of the questions that i was i was getting on the previous show and a lot of people will ask me, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dig into my own faith here because I like to stay hands off. I want to stay um, as objective as I can, and I realize that that's impossible to do 100%. But I want, whenever I'm talking about religion, or if I'm talking about race, or if I'm talking about politics, or like, I don't talk about those things just by themselves. Uh, you'll never you'll never find the rational male blog with uh, a post on race or a post on just politics. I always in some way incorporate 
uh, intersexual dynamics into those topics. But I, I'm not. It will, you will never see anything I do that is just about politics. There's people that do it better than I do, and this is. I'm just gonna just real quick and sort of give you a, an outline as to what uh, my thinking was when I sort of made up this rule back when I started my, my, uh, my blog. Um, I had come from a forum background. I, I used to be a moderator on the SoSwap forums. And um, one of the rules there was always to uh, kill any thread that was strictly race or strictly politics or strictly like ethno-nationalism or strictly any anything that had to do with religion, anything that had to do, at, you know, if, it, if you wanted to talk about, you know, men and women, if it was what we would think of as stereotypically sexist, those were okay. We were going to have that discussion, but we weren't going to have the discussion about, um, uh, politics. We weren't going to have the discussion about because though there's other forms for that. There's better places for that, quite honestly. And that's what I, that's the, the attitude I brought over to my blog when I started it out was I don't want, I want to have that same policy on my blog. Um, and so it's not like I'll kill off those threads. I, I mean, you can talk about whatever you want to on my comment threads, unless it's spam unless it's like blatant, you know, repeated trolling. In those cases, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll do a little bit of, you know, moderation in that sense. I'll, I'll delete those. Or if, if I'm just constantly getting this same, you know, sales page, if you're putting like links to your blog or your books or your, your, whatever the hell, it, you know, your drop shipping site, I'm going to end up killing those threads. Okay. So just so you know, you're participating, but for the last, um, actually in August, the rational mail has been up for eight years now. And prior to that, all of the material that I did um, in uh, in that ended up on the blog was from discussions that I had on SoSwap. And so, like I said, I brought that ruling over to my blog. Now, there was a point where I wanted to explore certain topics with respect to religion. And I had thought when I first started the Rational Mail that I was going to... Um, the, the one thing I would talk about would be religion, would be because I, I saw a lot of guys coming to me and Conk, I'm glad you're there. You know, Conk, I might bring you in for this one as well. Conk's been on my my religion and red pill show as well. Um, Conk, check your check your um, actually wait, wait till wait till Sam gets here, Conk, but I might have you come in on this one. Um, I um, I started thinking back when I started the, the rational mail, I thought, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't make just religion off topic. You know, I can, I can actually include something in that. And then I became familiar with this guy named Dalrock and Dalrock and I really hit it off. Um, he's been a blog brother, a, a really good friend of mine for, uh, at least as long as my blog's been around. I think he started Dalrock, his, his blog Dalrock, uh, it's dalrock.wordpress.com. That's D-A-L-R-O-C-K dot wordpress.com. And he just has the free site and he's been doing all, he has pretty much covered that aspect that I wanted to cover back then. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to back up off of that. I'm going to let Dalrock do that because I don't want, I mean, he does it better than me. Honestly, I'll, I'll say that right now. I think Dalrock does a better job at that than I do because he is really deeply embedded in that. And I have no doubt that Dalrock is very much red pill aware. I'm not saying Dalrock's going to become a pickup artist. I know that he has a family. I know, um, I, I know abouts where he lives. I'm not going to say where, but it's in the American South, let's just say. And really good guy. He and I share um, actually some common interests as well. And um, 
And so I was reading his blog and I thought, man, this is some really good stuff. I really, I, and so I, if you, if you've ever read any of the stuff that I have done with Dalrock, I'll, I'll quote him. He'll quote me. Um, we bounce things off of each other quite a bit. And I, um, I decided uh, back right before I published book three, which is positive masculinity. I thought, you know what? I really need to do a book on religion. And I, I was starting to think about doing it. It was just sort of in the larval stage at that point. It was just sort of a germ of an idea. And I knew I always wanted to do something like that because one of the first, like very, from the very earliest days of the rational male, I had guys who were Christians who would come up to me and they would say, Rolo, I'm a Christian. How do I apply this to my life? I know that this is important. I know that what you're talking about is true. I understand you've given me an open my eyes to the nature of women, but how do I apply that? I can't spin plates. I can't, you know, I don't believe in premarital sex, so I can't actually do those things. I can't, um, uh, I can't have multiple plates spinning at the same time. Uh, I'm, you know, I come from a, f a family where premarital sex is not a, a, a thing or, or it will be like, I, uh, I've been in the church since I was a kid and I feel like I'm addicted to pornography. And now that I see the true nature of women, I understand why I'm addicted to pornography. And so all of these questions started coming up and then I'd have guys who were married and they were in quote unquote Christian relationships or Christian marriages. And they were, they, I think a lot of those guys were almost more frustrated than the average secular guy who found himself in a sexless marriage, or um, maybe they were in a marriage where their wife, their wives were just giving them, you know, sort of duty sex, right? Ob obligatory sex. And you know, it's funny as I, I got into a, a headbutting competition, I guess on Twitter, uh, probably about a year ago, maybe, maybe nine months ago, I think. And I had said something like I typed out duty sex and women lost their minds when I said that, I, they're, they're, because it was, oh, it was right. I know what it was. It was right about the time when I was exploring the idea of um, enthusiastic consent, because we were talking about like, uh, it was when Aziz Ansari had his case and uh, feminists were writing about the sex that women have, but they really don't want to have. They were having sex because it was convenient. It was, it was easier to say yes than it was to say no, but they said they would have said no otherwise, but they didn't want the guy to feel like Aziz Ansari. They didn't want him to feel bad. So she gave him a blowjob, but when he tried to initiate sex, then she rebuffed him. And that was, that was rape or that was non-consensual sex. So the blowjob was consensual, but the sex afterwards or the, the attempted sex afterwards was, that was technically rape. And so we got into this really kind of, they even called it like the, the feminists at that time called it gray area sex. And so I was, I brought up the fact that if this is the case, if we're going to base our understanding on consent, uh, and we're going to say that the only kind of sex that a woman can have that is actually consensual sex is when she has enthusiasm about having sex with the guy. Um, we've gone from yes means yes to enthusiastic consent means yes. So whereas yes means yes was, can I touch your hair? Can I do this? Can I stroke your hair? Can I touch your face? Can I do this? Can I do that? La la la, la la la. And, and you know, go through that. That's, that's yes mean yes. Okay. It used to be no means no, then it's yes means yes. So a woman would say no, then that was supposed to be enough for a guy to go, okay, fine, screw it. I'm out. 
but then it was yes means yes and everything has to be a thing and now yes means yes isn't enough it had to be enthusiastic consent so she had to be like literally tearing your clothes off like i said it's sadie hawkins world she has to be tearing your clothes off for it to be enthusiastic consent and anything less could be considered rape and so i was talking about that and i go i go you know when when we see like duty sex when we and and if if any Christian women are watching this right now, any of the Sun Hat Brigade are watching this right now, you know damn well what I'm talking about. It's the sex you have because you are bl obliged to do so because it is your wifely duties according to the church, according to whatever. It is not good for a... Um, uh, uh, hold on one second here. Uh, Sam, if you're watching me right now, just click on that link. You don't need to have StreamYard to do it. Just click on it, and then I'll click you in. You, all you need is a web browser, so just click on the links that I've given you, and you, you'll you'll show right up here. Just have your webcam going if you want it, um, and then uh, and then make sure you have your mic ready to rock. And uh, you don't need you don't need StreamYard to join a StreamYard stream. So, anyways, what I was going to say is like, so I'm talking about obligatory sex. I'm talking about the kind where a woman is having sex. It's not what she wants to have. She's not enthusiastic about it, but she um, she still has it. And so that's in in Christian circles that's called duty sex, right? She's having it, not she really wants to, but she's doing it because she loves her husband. And so, what do we call in the red pill? Starfish sex. We call it just sort of like laying there waiting for, you know. A, waiting for something to happen kind of it's like it's like a chore right it's like the kind of sex a woman has like she got to fold the laundry i got to go pick the kids up from soccer practice i got to have sex with my husband and then i got to go to the dishes that's what i'm talking about and so according to enthusiastic consent if we're going to make enthusiastic consent the um the benchmark then what that means is that any of that duty sex that that woman has later on if it's in if they're in divorce proceedings um, it's very easy for uh, a prosecutor to say, well, did you have sex? Did you have ob obligatory sex? Did you have sex that you didn't want to have that was unenthusiastic? Oh, yes, of course I did, Your Honor. Oh, great. Your husband's guilty of rape. So, you know, case closed. You get custody. End of story. Thank you for playing. And so I was, I was talking about that. And so I had women and feminists coming out of the woodwork who were Christians saying that that was rape that wasn't rape and we got into this we got into this back and forth um about that and oh, what is hold on one second here guys i'm i apologize i'm trying to get um trying to get my good friend sam in here sam just click on that link that's all you have to do just click on the link that i gave you and you should be golden um let me see what sam says here okay well whenever you're ready sam just you know give me a heads up and we'll we'll be ready to go so anyways uh so that was one topic right that was one thing that i was talking about was enthusiastic consent uh talking about duty sex of course women like feminists freaked out they go duty sex what do you mean no 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 woman is ever owing um, no man is ever owed sex blah blah, blah. and I'm like well you're just basically making my case for me so i started talking about that we talk about the religious aspects of it uh, graham miller thanks for your uh, 9.99 actually let's get to you right now uh graham miller says can you rank the major christian sex in order of subversion to the feminine imperative which sex stand out as exceptions graham keep watching i'm gonna get in i've got i've got all kinds of good stuff here you can't see them but i've got all kinds of good notes i i'm a i'm a very meticulous note taker and i'm on my second cup of coffee right now so just so you know um yeah uh i i, I will um i <laughs> 
I, I can give you the top two right now. Um, Lutheran and uh, Presbyterian are the are the top two, and Methodist is probably number three. <laughs> and I'll explain to you why here by the end of the show. Uh, I will get to that. Um, also, thank you guys. If you want to get, I'm going to play fast and loose today with the uh, the super chats. Um, if I see it in there, I, I might highlight it. I'll do my best to keep uh, to stay on top of that. Uh, Josh, I also see you in the uh, in the uh, chat there today. Thanks for for watching, and and uh, you can get an idea, get familiar with how I run my thing. Josh is I'm going to have Josh help me out um, on the next episode of this, so that I can get you guys to uh, actually be able to call in or to to link in and um, and uh, just. Uh, this and, and then so we can have a, a live conversation i i'm considering doing um blog talk radio but again i'm sort of flying by the seat of my pants here i'm doing this solo so i've got some guys who want to help me out josh actually helps out um uh rich cooper and so he's uh he's on he'll be on loan from rich cooper on the next one of these uh hang on one second okay. i don't know if uh Sam is watching this or not. So anyways, uh, I decided back then, but right around the, the third book, when I was right, when I was just about to publish a third, I was, I was actually thinking and taking notes and doing a little bit of research. I thought, okay, if I'm going to write a fourth book, what's it going to be about? And I knew that I wanted to do religion. Um, and so I, I approached Dal Rock and I said, Dal, let's do a book together. Let's, I was trying to get him to co-author, but Dal is very, um, very private and uh i don't know what he looks like i don't know what he sounds like i've only ever excuse me had uh interactions with him via email um even when i wanted to talk with him uh you know he wanted to do it through like a third party or he wanted to make sure that there's no way to find out who he was or anything like that and and i and i get that and i appreciate that and i can totally respect you know wanting to maintain your anonymity and your privacy and really that's what dalrock does he does one thing he does his blog. He's not on Twitter. He's never been on Twitter. Uh, he's, as far as I know, he's on Facebook. He might be, but not not in his Dalrock capacity. Uh, but he's done so much good work for so long that I wanted to give him the opportunity to, like, you know, co-author this. But he didn't want to do it. And I don't, and I, for whatever responsibilities or wanting to maintain his anonymity. So I said, look, if you're not going to co-author this book with me, um, at least let's let's exchange ideas let's collate right let's get together and put this thing and make this thing work and i'm gonna a lot of the stuff that um that i begin with in this book um is inspired by a lot of what a lot of concepts that dal has brought up now i'm not copying his stuff i'm just using those as sort of jump off points for what he's talked about in the past um for instance what are the uh what are the major christian sects because a lot of what um what Dalrock talks about is really either Catholicism or it's process or it's evangelical Christianity. Uh, he follows along with like groups like Focus on the Family, a lot of these women's ministry um, uh, personalities, which is what I call them, um, uh, like Sheila Gregoire, like uh, Beth Moore. Um, most of these are females, and I talk about these in the book as well. And um, so, on, and then there's. Um, I, 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 and I wish I had the name, I don't have the names off the top of my head, but there's like a Presbyterian minister who's this sort of biker chick with, it looks like a lesbian with, uh, you know, tattoos and blue hair creating, you know, melting down purity rings and making big vagina, um, 
uh, trophies or whatever, you know, idols or whatever, and giving them to Gloria Steinem, that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of investing myself in those, those stories. Um, there's also a Presbyterian, uh, that was a Lutheran minister. There's also the Presbyterian minister who, um, uh, says that heaven is, or that God isn't the only, or excuse me, uh, Christianity isn't the only way to heaven. Um, basically taking the fundamental tenets of Christianity and turning them into, uh, turning them into sort of this Unitarian kind of like globalized religion. And I get into that also in the, in the later parts of the book. Um, so what I wanted to get into today is some of the particulars of that. Um, Sam, again, if you, if you're having trouble, just go and hit that link. That's all you have to do. And then you'll show up there. Uh, let me see. I've got him on here. One quick second. And let's that. Okay. Well, Sam, whenever you're ready, that's cool. Uh, Conk, I might bring it. Oh, okay. Sam, Sam, just hit the link. I see you in the, I see in the comments there. Just hit the link that I gave you. You don't need StreamYard. Just hit the link and I'll, I'll, I'll bump you in here. So all you got to do is just click on that and then I'll, it'll put you in the waiting room and then I'll bring you on. So go ahead and do that if you got a chance, Sam. Um, so I, I wanted to have this conversation. I wanted to sort of get in touch on some of the major points of the book itself and why I actually started this in the first place. Um, I have a religious background. Um, I was I have a really kind of unique uh, approach to religion, I think. And of course, everybody thinks they do, right? Um, my father was really a dyed-in-the-wool um, uh, <laughs> I died in, hold on a second, I'm going to go get... Um, Sam here. My father was very much an atheist, and I mean like a practicing atheist, uh, sort of like when I think today when we think about athe like online atheists, when we think about guys like uh, Sam Harris, um, I'm I'm also a really big fan of Stefan um, Woodford from Rationality Rules. Um, definitely another atheist. I like those guys. I like the way they think. I like the, the, the conversations and the, what they put out, um, uh, just for, in a rational respect in, um, in having these conversations. But personally, I still am religious to the point where I, I, I'm not, I, I think a lot of people would probably call me agnostic, but I'm, I also have my mother's side, which my mother was very much an evangelical Christian for a very long time. And then she converted to Catholicism and now she is a, a, you know, confirmed Catholic. So, um, so that's where I come from. Like, I mean, I got, I got mom on one side and I got atheist dad on the other side. And I get a lot, I think I get a lot of my sort of strategic thinking and my rational thinking from my father and my sort of, you know, be open to new ideas, be open to the possibilities from my mom. Now, my mom is kind of like a, um, my mom is kind of like a lovable ditz. Okay. Um, she's, she's a wonderful lady. I, I, I love my mom, but she's always been sort of, she's, she, I learned a lot about hypergamy from my mom, put it that way. Um, and I, you know, later on in life, of course, and the hard way here. Um, God damn it. Here, let me see. Um, I, I'm having a trouble getting, uh, where did he go? Sam, if you can get it, guys, I, I just resent you the link. Do you want me to send it to the Twitter, to your Twitter? I just sent it to your Twitter one more time there too. So you've got the link. 
sooner or later, Sam will show up. Um, I might bring Conk in here in a little bit too. Um, if he, if Conk, if you're, if you're cool with that, um, let me know. I'll, uh, I'll hit you up. Uh, George Clooney, the George Clooney. Uh, uh, is it possible to be a learned alpha? My girlfriend, six years enjoys my alpha frame, but I have my guard down. Yeah. Um, I'll just, I'll give you the real quick $5 answer to that. Yes, it is. It's possible to learn, uh, alpha behaviors. It's possible to internalize those behaviors and it is possible to incorporate them into your personality so that they become your, your default personality. Absolutely. It is. Is it better if you're born that way and you have a natural proclivity for that and you were raised that way? Yes. But Anybody who thinks that like there's a, a like a natural alpha is a thing, it is. It's a thing. But it, those guys are just guys who learned the game before you did, and so you're still learning. While they are, you know, a lot of guys who consider themselves natural alphas, or or you would consider as like a natural alpha, those are kind of, um, they yeah, they might have an advantage. It might be a biological advantage. Might be whatever. Um, uh, but it is possible to learn the mindset for that. Um, I've always said alpha is a mindset is not a demographic. So I've, I've seen guys go from being natural alphas to being just like, you know, doormat betas because of some bad choices that they made in their life. So yeah, absolutely. You can. And I suggest that you do. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to uh, start off with a few questions here. Like these are some questions I wanted to answer in the book. Whenever I start a book, I'm like, okay, what's the goal of this book? What did I, what do I want to convey in this? So in the first book, I wanted to make sure that um, I wanted to make sure that everybody had a well-rounded knowledge. I thought that the first book that I was going to write was only going to be the only book I would ever write was going to be the rational male. And people who are complaining to me about how tiny, teeny, tiny the, the type is. And yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm actually rectifying that in the next edition. Oh, by the way, um, the book, the, the first book just hit six years. I published it on um, October 1st on uh, night or excuse me, uh, 2013. So we just hit the six year mark with with the uh, with the, uh, the the first book. And in that book, I wanted to lay out sort of the the um, wanted to lay out the the rules. Like it's a it's like a, I think of it this in gamers terms, you know, if you got the rule set and then anything that comes after that is sort of like the um, the uh, the supplements to the rules. Well, that's what the first book was to me. And then so. When I was writing the second book and then the third book, I'm like, okay, what do I want? How do I want to build on this? How do I want to make this a series? How do I, what, you know, what are the goals that I want to accomplish with this? And so with the, with the second book, I wanted to make sure, like I kept getting guys saying, well, you know, I wish I would have had all this information when I was 18 or when I was 16, I would have, I would have made different choices. I would have made. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to write a book for the guys who tell me that before they tell me that, right? So I wanted to make sure that like, if, if like guys had a better understanding of what it is that women are going through at various phases of their of, of women's maturity. And so that's why I built it on timeline. So that, that was the goal of that book. The second goal for or for the third book, I should say, was uh, I wanted to talk about red pill parenting, um, how a guy could, what a guy, you know, the pitfalls to watch out for, um, going forward into like the next coming decades, what the village was going to be teaching your kids and how you can avoid the, the worst of that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm still not seeing you, uh, Sam, go ahead and just click that link and uh, whether it's on Twitter or if it's on, you know, just make sure you've got a web browser going and you'll be able to, to 
click in. Go go check out your Twitter feed and you can click you can click in from there. So anyways, um so my goal for the third book was, of course, to, uh, I started on parenting because I had so many guys asking me, like, what do I have to do? Like, when can I give your book to my sons? When can I, I want I want them to not you to avoid the pitfalls that I went through? And if I would have had your book, how do I do that? How do I give it to my son? So I wrote that. That was the first thing I want to talk about social issues and I wanted to talk about um just things to look forward to in the, in the coming decades. And so like for this book, I want, there was, there were some questions that I had that I wanted to, to, um, to address. Um, in fact, I might even just call up the, uh, part of the book right here. Um, so I, 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 I think that the, the most important thing really for, if you're going to be a red pill Christian, I, I'm not going to say that it's impossible, but I'm just going to say that there's a different rule set for it. I've said this before is when I have guys asking me like, you know, how do I, how do I use this? How do I incorporate this into my Christian walk? Right. How do I, how do I deal with uh, feminism in my church? How do I, um, how do I deal with my very overzealous mother and my very beta father in the church? Um, how do I get my Christian wife to have sex with me more? Um, why is it an issue? Why is it that 87% of Christian men uh, admit or actually pro identify with this sentence, I am a sex addict or I am a pornography addict? Why is that? Why, did that? why does something like that happen? So uh, there were some questions that I wanted to answer. And I'm just going to go through a few of these. Um, the, the first one, and hopefully Sam will come in on this one because I want him to sort of give his quote unquote testimony for this. Is we're going to give red pill testimonies today. Um, the first one that I saw, and I have had, I've been through, you know, I, I had a Christian marriage. I've been to church. I've been, you know, I, I think that when I go to church now, I'm a little too analytical because I'm watching how I'm watching the interactions. Like when I'm at a, a liquor promo or something and I'm, I'm working out in the field, I'm always studying behavior. I'm always studying, watching people. I do the same thing at church <laughs> and maybe that's good and maybe that's bad, but I watch how people interact and I, I kind of, uh, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm sort of like the Diane Fossey or the Jane Goodall of the red pill, right? I mean, I watch these, I watch the behavior and then I just sort of like make correlations and connect dots there. So, um, uh, so, so I do have a religious background. Okay. I, um, I have been, I, I've been agnostic. I've been like dyed in the wool, you know, evangelical Christian, uh, right now, like I said, I don't know where I fit in. I don't know what exactly I am. So if people want to say, well, you're going to be the next Protestantism, or you're going to be this, I'm like, no, I'm not going to be that. I'm just going to ask questions. I'm going to connect some dots in this book like I do in all of my books. So the first question I want to talk about here is why are men abandoning the church? If you guys want to give me your ideas as to why men are abandoning the church. That's fine. Uh, you know, that's fine. This is actually, I, I got to post this one up here. Was it, um, where'd you put that? Somebody was talking about hot Christian wives or something like that. I remember, I remember one time I was looking for some information on that. And, uh, because I, there was this really, uh, there's this trend, I think for, um, like youth pastors to build up their wives and say like, Oh, look at how my hot Christian wife. <laughs> and, and so that really rubbed a lot of Christian feminists the wrong way. 
And yes, there are Christian feminists. Um, there's a, it's actually a magazine and it's actually a website. It's called Relevant Christian. And, um, and there's some other ones as well too. But I think what's funny about that is um, that we have adopted this secularism into, uh, has, as part of the assimilation of the feminine imperative into, um, into the church, um, we now, like women are now comfortable calling themselves Christian feminists, and they will find ways to uh, justify being a feminist within the church uh, according to scripture, like trying to find some way to justify being there. And um, I'm going to get into this other topic here in a little bit, but a lot of people are, you're going to say this already. Okay. So the first thing I'm going to get from any, from any critic is this, that's not the real Christianity. That's not the real Islam. That's not the real Judaism. The way that I believe my Orthodox, not in my church, in my church, it's like this in my church. It's like that. Now, here's the thing is, I'm doing this from a general, like I'm, I'm from a, forgive the pun, from a God's eye view. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at all of these different um, uh, social conventions that are going on within the church. So that's what, like when I'm looking at this, I'm looking at not just Catholicism or Presbyterians or Lutherans or Methodists or, you know, g just even like generic brand evangelical Christianity. Um, <clears throat> I'm looking at this as, as an overall thing. Um, I've had guys tell me this is um, like uh, Muslims in, in particular. Um, if I, what, what they'll tell me is they'll, they'll say, well, in Islam, women do it this way. And all of the stuff that you're talking about um, with respect to religion and Christianity and all that stuff doesn't apply to Islam. Now I understand why anybody, not just, not just Muslims. I understand why anybody would want to, um, defend their their faith i get that okay so you know it's it's actually part of the religion to defend the faith to actually be you know emotionally and ego invested into your own faith i understand that and so when i find a an example of how women in muslim countries are um like say for iraq for example are in, are in iran right now there's a lot of civil unrest by the way in iran if anybody isn't looking right now but um like when a woman dances in iran they're 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 or she doesn't wear the burqa or the, the the hijab when she doesn't wear the hijab or she goes on instagram she's literally like you know risking her life to go and and dance as a woman on instagram in that country but they're still doing it because western feminism has found its way into those cultures it's found its way into um into islam and it is finding in right now granted on very extreme uh orthodox varieties of islam yeah i mean for sure women are definitely repressed and there's a reason for that there's there's i'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later on here but i wanted to um to explain like first before i get into any of this is a lot of people are going to say well that's not in in orthodox christianity it's not like that in orthodox judaism it's not like that when i was talking to uh rabbi kava that was the first thing he said well you know i'm an orthodox jew and Orthodox Jewish women understand what they're, they know their role. They know their place in all of this. And that's good because in that respect, there's some regimen there. There's some understanding of purpose. There's some understanding of, of what it is. And again, that's, that's brought up through, um, through family. It's brought up through, um, uh, just the, the you know, well, the, you know, uh, 
was it family legacy or family tradition, right? That's just the way we do it. I, I get that. But more and more we see secular influences assimilate. And I don't, and I'm saying secular right now, but really it's the feminine imperative. And I'll explain to you why that is. My first question though was why is it that men are leaving the church? Why are they bailing out? And uh, a lot of that I think has to do with um, their, the, first of all, the, the assimilation of those mainstream religions by the feminine imperative. So there's um, there's ways that this happens. And I, I talked about this with Conk a little while ago, and I, I kind of need to set this out because the book, the fourth book is really kind of based on this, is, is that there is um, there's secular culture and then there is religious culture. And I, I call this church culture, okay? So it can be whatever. But the, so there's the religious culture. And, and if you've ever been a part of a religion, you understand that there, there's sort of this separation between the world and the church and you're you're no longer a part of the world anymore you've converted to christianity or you converted to something else ah there is sam um and you uh sam as soon as i see your smiling mug on there i'll add you in i've got you right now um actually i'm gonna throw you in there you are can you hear me okay absolutely can you hear me okay oh yeah man you are really loud though <laughs> do i need to turn it down i can oh no it's fine it, i honestly I think it's your All right. right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. This is the first day. This is the first day the the internet in here is down. So I'm actually using uh, my my cell phone to. Okay. Well, you stick around as long as you can. If you if you have to move or you have to go on to something else, that's fine. I just wanted to throw you in here because like people were asking me last on last show, like when are you going to do something with Sam? So and you and I have been talking about doing an episode on religion and the red pill and. Uh, I want to set this one apart because, I, again, like I want to play a little bit fast and loose here. Um, for everybody who doesn't know, Sam is the voice of my uh, Audible books. Um, Sam, if you, you want to just sort of introduce yourself a little bit, how do how do we how do we meet, man? I mean, we've known each other since before the first book came out. Basically, um, after all the years in Hollywood and seeing the things that I've seen, seeing things that would make you crap your pants. Each man here would crap his pants if he'd seen in person the things that I've seen in person being deep in Hollywood. And so um, I, uh, uh, I, I had a conversion experience bringing me back to Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, this was years after a divorce. I got divorced or I got married when I was 30 and I was still a virgin. Mm-hmm. Grew up in the very strict Southern Baptist Church. And I thought that uh, if I had sex before marriage that God would either cut my penis off or take away my success. So mm-hmm. I waited for marriage and I married someone with BPD and I didn't know that and knew nothing about any of this stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. so anyway, the, uh, that lasted two and a half years. And, um, I was a workaholic anyway, mm-hmm. going after the mm-hmm. success, but um, all this stuff I didn't understand. And so uh, the divorce happened, I think in 2003. And then um, uh, somebody told me about uh, David D'Angelo Evan Pagan stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I learned a lot from buying all of his seminars. But over the years, there was never anything out there that was turning guys into men until mm-hmm. I found your work. Um, I think that Dalrock was up there first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Dalrock, uh, and, Dalrock and I came out right about the same time. Yeah. Oh. And, and, uh, so there's, the, there's been this hole um, in what you call the Christomanosphere, 
mm -hmm. from the beginning. And uh, I was so amazed at your work, didn't know your uh, religious beliefs at all, but I knew that the words were inspired by mm. God. I know that sounds crazy, but I believe that God uh, allowed that thing to happen with your brother-in-law mm -hmm. and, uh, and put you in the positions that you've been in to where you can observe people the way that you do in order to put this out there for these books that are literally, I believe that this is a part of the end times, revelations. I believe that more people are going to come back to their creator because of your work than any other thing written besides the Bible. I think your work is a supplement to the Bible. I know it sounds strange, especially since it's the first three books are written in a very secular way. Mm. But um, I believe that this was inspired by God because mm -hmm. with thousands of confirmed suicides stopped, you know, those people, are they, uh, are they more likely to find God after your, their suicide was stopped and their life was turned around and got better? Um, or are they just going to kill themselves? You know, mm. uh, this is, this was the missing link and Dalrock. Um, I, you know, I, I love Dalrock and I love his stuff, but he's not able to reach the masses like you do because you have been there. You've been on both sides of the fence mm -hmm. and it's the most effective thing out there as far as bringing in the kingdom of God. We can talk more about that, but, um, I think this is a part of God's plan in the end. I, time. Uh, I, um, that's, that's interesting. You say that. Cause like when I was considering and doing the background work for this upcoming book, um, like I said, it started really, gosh, I've been, I've actually been writing this book for the last, really the last three years. Um, because I started, uh, doing the research and taking my notes and doing all my, my background work for it. Um, when, like right before I published book three, and um, I knew that I wanted to do something like this. Um, I also knew this is that I wanted to target, and I, and I will do this. Obviously, like I'm going to, um, it's going to be a book for, for men. Okay, it's going to be a book for guys who are part of the manosphere, guys who are part of the red pill, who are red pill aware. Guys, you know, it's again, it's it's a. I think of all the books that have happened after the main book as sort of being like supplements to the main book. Um, and and I and I say that of course in in the intro of all my books and including this one is that you kind of have to have that core knowledge and you have to understand what it is I'm talking about um, in that respect uh, before you can really understand the other books. But that said, um, like you were saying before, is I have I've had from very from the from day one I've had guys hit me up and say how do I incorporate this into my life how do I because I mean there's a lot of stuff in the first book that is um, you know that would that most Christians would sort of cringe at it's particularly feminized Christians right now so if I say something like if you're reading the the Iron Rules of Tomasi you read number three and it says you know any sex that you any time a woman makes you wait for sex or by her actions implies that she's making you wait for sex the sex is never worth the weight people always take that and they assume that what i'm getting at is like oh you should just go and you know bang every chick that you can possibly that's or or or, or um spinning plates they think that that is in some way um against the idea of of one man one woman find the soulmate in your life and settle down and, and wait till you're 30 before you have sex and oh, otherwise you're gonna have god's gonna cut your penis off kind of thing um but so 
I, I want to make a, a point of distinction here because a lot of what I talk about came from uh, old pickup artist communities. I think it's evolved from there. I talk, that's another thing. I talk about evolution. I talk about things from a very rational, that's why it's called the rational male, from a very rational um, down to earth, like nuts and bolts kind of thing. So if I'm, if I am, if I'm using a term like evolutionary psychology, there are Christians who will just simply turn off because I use the word evolution in a sentence. And so I, there's always going to be that, that idea that you can't apply this stuff in a religious way. You can't apply this. In fact, as a matter of fact, um, when I was publishing the first book and I was doing that particular law, that or that law, that uh, Iron Rule of Tomasi number three, I put a caveat in there at the end of that uh, of that section. There, this is if you are a Christian guy, keep in mind that that this isn't a this isn't a license to go out and have sex with every woman that you know. It is, however, an encouragement or it's it's an illumination, I guess. Um, that you need to be non-exclusive. You need to open open yourself to your options. You need to make yourself your own mental point of origin. And um, I think that a lot of guys, and, and maybe you can help me with this. I'm just going to play devil's advocate here for a minute. But a lot of guys, a lot of Christians will say exactly the same thing. I, I noticed that a lot of Christian guys, a lot of uh a lot of guys who want to make the red pill their quote unquote ministry, or they want to make the, uh, they, they wondering why men have abandoned the church and they go, well, where are all the men? They're not in the church anymore. Where did they go? And then they go on, they find this place called the manosphere and they understand like they hear about MIG tower, they held by MRAs or, or pickup artists or whatever. And they're the manosphere, or in some cases they maybe now they're talking about like trad cons who are in the manosphere or, uh, you know, the patriarchs and all that kind of stuff. Um, they hear about that and they direct their ministry to, to there because they can't get guys into their church, but they don't ask the questions. Why are they not in the church in the first place? And so you've got these guys, who will see what I talk about in the the really kind of visceral raw parts of the of the red pill, and they'll think that because I say you know um, any sex that you have to wait for is not is never worth the wait, um, they think that that is in some way against whatever their their doctrinal learning is or anything like that. And I think that you I think that it needs to be said that you can take this awareness and you can apply it to your lives. So you're going to have, so that's one side. So I, I get it from that side, from the religious side and the religious side is going to, you know, give me grief about uh, sort of like the pickup artist aspects or, you know, the, the, um, uh, the, the sexual aspects of it. Then I've got the MGTOWs and the MGTOWs and this side, they're going to get mad at me for this because I am going to discuss marriage in this show. I'm going to discuss marriage in this book. I'm not going to advocate for marriage. I'm going to lay out what is uh, what is at stake for guys, um, how marriage has changed, how the church has been assimilated by the feminine imperative, and how the things to the pitfalls to watch out for in any kind of marriage, whether it's Christian or anything else. But because I'm talking about marriage, and I might actually talk about it in a positive light, in a in a potentially positive light. I'm going to get it from that side as well. So I'm I. You're right. I have to tread, I have to tread the fence. I have to walk the line here, and at the same time deliver a message that is going to help these guys. That's going to allow them to say, hey, I, you know, one of the questions I want to answer today is, can a guy? Maybe you can answer this. Can a guy be red pill 
and still be a Christian? Can he be red pill and still be a Muslim? Can he still be a Jew? Can he still follow whatever it is that his faith is? And, and I would say this right now is that there, those faiths are being challenged right now because of secularism, of a feminine secular uh, assimilation of those mainstream religions. But even in despite all of that, can a guy still be uh, red pill aware? Can he still be a red pill Christian? Like we talk about crystal manosphere all the time. And a lot of people will say, no, you can't possibly do that. Or if they say, if you get married, uh, that's blue pill. If you're a Christian, that's blue pill. That's not rational. You're the rational male. You shouldn't be talking about, about uh, religion. That's irrational. I'm like, well, it's part of our human experience. We have a capacity to understand things or to at least, it's part of the human experience to, to at least question about religion, to at least have some sort of interest in something that's beyond ourselves. So maybe I should ask you that. Why do you think, um, why do you think that men are abandoning the church right now? And we can keep this in a Christian context too. Well, after Jesus came, he made it clear that the Christian is the church. You, the body, meaning your physical body, you are the church. So um, to answer one of the things you were mentioning, um, you know, you can't be red-pilled red and be a Christian. I think that you're not a Christian if you're not red-pilled. Mm -hmm. um, if you study the Bible, I mean, especially in the New Testament, those dudes were were tough. They were on fire. And the same thing in, in, in the Old Testament. But the fact is that the church, um, I think I mentioned the other day to you, First John chapter 2, it's basically a letter to a woman that's got some kids, and uh, I think she's a widow. And so uh, the church meets in her house. That's what the church was in those days and should still be today because the, you don't need a temple so you can approach God through a man or, uh, or Mary or anybody else. You can go directly to him, which is what I do. I don't attend church unless people invite me and I go out of courtesy. And it, it just, every time I go, I'm, I'm really shocked because mm -hmm. it, it's just so sad how far it, it is, is gone with the satanic agenda. The satanic agenda is here in, and it's in, it's in the church. And so my worship is among friends and uh, with God mm -hmm. from right here in my studio and wherever I am. I mean, like um, in, in Elijah, when uh, uh, he's the cupbearer to the king, okay? So he's the guy that tastes the king's food and wine to see if it's got poison. And so he, he dies instead of the king. Well, he's been serving him for a few years, and the king trusts him. He, he likes him. And uh, the king saw that he was sad of heart. And, he's, uh, and the king said, uh, look, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. And, you know, the king could just take his sword out and kill you. But instead, he's like really interested in why the dude is sad. And he's like, well, you know, Jerusalem, the walls are down. You know, this place of my uh, father's, blah, blah, blah. It's all down. And, uh, um, and but before he said that, he said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. So he's not going to uh, pray in front of the guy out loud. He does it under his breath. And, um, you know, this is, this is a big part of red pill is I am strong through all of this that has happened. I'm strong. And that strength is coming from my Lord and savior and worship and uh, communication. And um, I don't read the Bible. I listen to the Bible. I mean, there are a bunch of um, King James version, audiobooks. Max McLean, this guy is really great at bringing the Bible alive. And I, uh, I, you know, I have like, um, 
sermons from Chuck Swindoll from the 70s and 80s that I regularly listen to. And this is what feeds me spiritually. But I believe that you're not a Christian man if you're not red-pilled because the Bible is very clear about your position as a man. And back to 1 John 2, this letter to the woman, she was, um, because women are about, you know, uh, accepting, she was, ex you know, she was accepting false prophets into the, uh, the meetings of mm -hmm. the church. Remember the church is each individual that's there, but mm -hmm. she was accepting false prophets and other scoundrels in there. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so red pill is the definition of what a man is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was gonna. I'll I'll just tell you really quick, and and this is uh, something that's sort of the basis of of what I talk about in the in the actually the very first parts of this book, is that the what I see happening right now, um, with respect to mainstream religions, with respect to and and of course, like I said before, um, you know, people are gonna say, not my God, not my not my Orthodox religion, whatever. Okay, so but hear me out here really quickly. Um, there is an influence, I think, right now the zeitgeist of this age is, is feminism. It is, uh, it is it's fem the, the narrative is the fempowerment and narrative. I've talked about the gender war on several different occasions. Um, I, I have tried to outline as best I can what I see as this influence within the churches right now. Like I'll go and I'll see somebody like Beth Moore or I'll see somebody like J Sheila Gregoire or some of these, these women's ministries. And I'm looking at how similar they are to what I call success porn or like Tony Robbins, or I see these guys who are selling these power positivity kind of things, but they're doing it. And they're just taking their, their, their direction is to, to be women's ministry, they, you know, or they want to get into a position of leadership within the church itself. And what happens once those women get into that position of leadership and how they fundamentally change it. So here's the, here's the basis. And maybe you can, you can add whatever you want to this, but here's what I believe is that there is this secular influence that's outside of the church. That is of course, primarily based on the feminine imperative right now. And so what happens is that influence finds its way into the women in the church, into church culture. So now you have the church culture that is drawing in that influence into the social aspect of the church, right? So, so maybe back in the 80s, maybe into the, up into like the mid to early 90s, you had, um, you had women who would take certain aspects of that secular culture and they would make them what I call Christian kosher. And what I mean by that is if you, if uh, in Jewish culture, um, if you want to make something kosher, like, you know, you can't have, you can't have ham, right? You can't have, there's certain things that the Bible forbid or the Torah forbids for, for Jews to consume unless a rabbi gets it, he gives its blessing. And then suddenly it's, it's kosher for people to have. I did this actually because I had to have in one of my, in one of my uh, vodka brands we tried to get it kosher and we did we sent it in they got it kosher they gave us a stamp of approval and then we got to put the little kosher mark on the side of the bottle because we just basically paid off a rabbi to say yeah it's all right go for it um and so they um so what happens is they take something that is outside the church 
and they like that idea. And I see a lot of Christians doing this, even Catholics doing this. I, I don't want to just point at evangelical Christians. But what they do is they find something in the world that they like, that is popular, that is some way to sort of remain relevant or something that they can use to draw more people in, to talk to them about the gospel or whatever it is, right? But they're still using those elements from outside, but rather than, than saying, okay, we're like, for instance, like Christian rock and roll, right? Christian metal or Christian whatever, like uh, they'll spend uh, countless hours saying how it's a satanic force and blah, 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 but like, but the way we do it is Christian metal. And so therefore we're going to put our stamp of approval on it and we're going to bring that into the fold and now it's part of Christian culture or like worship music or uh, certain literature, certain movies. I can remember a time back in the 80s when when I was really into Lord of the Rings, I loved reading the book. I loved Dungeons and Dragons. I loved all that kind of stuff. And it was it was something that the church at the church culture of that era wouldn't would would ostracize you from because they didn't want that and so but what i see happen is in that in the interim they'll say but there's parts of that are really cool so can we find some way to bring that in and so what you get is you get these little niche markets from within christian culture or religious culture i don't want to just pick on on christianity but you get these these um these social and you know, artistic and cultural elements that would otherwise be considered secular and outside main, the mainstream religion brought in and they put the Jesus fish logo on it and they go, okay, this is the Christian version of this, of that, of whatever. And so they bring that idea in and then what happens is, is from the church culture, that ends up changing the doctrine. So the doctrine is this, is like, well, if we've accepted this into church culture and we've said that this is okay, then now we can change up the practices of our religion based on these new things that we've deemed our Christian co kosher, and we can bring them in. And so you go from that cultural, that, 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 that church culture, to the doctrine, and it, may, it affects how people uh, interpret the faith through that social influence that came into the in through the church and so now you've got this this social doctrine or you got the excuse me you got the religious doctrine that is accepting the social influences and then what happens is after like two or three generations in the church it changes the faith so what happens yeah. is like when people tell me this like and the reason i want and that's a really long way to get to this one point and this one point is this is that a lot of people will tell me that it's that's not the faith. Just because women believe in feminism in the church, that's not the faith. And I tell them, yeah, but in two generations, it is going to be the faith. It will be because the doctrine will accept that and then they will find ways to justify that doctrine scripturally or faith-wise. And so when you're brought I mean, when you're a kid and you don't know anything about the Bible, you don't know anything about the Torah, you don't know anything about the Talmud, whatever, you don't know anything about anything and your parents raise you to believe that the Bible says that feminism is good and that Jesus was a feminist. You don't know. You're a little kid. You're, you're raised into this religion that teaches you something is part of that traditional faith that never was part of that faith, but now you believe so because it's coming in. That's the assimilation that I'm talking about right now. And so when I see that, when I see that happening or when I see like guys who – um, when I when I watch people, when I do people watching, when I'm sort of understanding men within the church, 
and I listen to what they say and I listen to the lingo that they use and I listen to the way that they that they defer to the feminine, they defer to their wives, they defer to um, just you know, like a mother, like the Mother's Day, the, the comparison, of course, is the Mother's Day sermons versus the Father's Day sermons. Or on Mother's Day, it's always this. Women are just, you know, they're the glory, the cr women are the crowning glory of God. That's that's where we lift women up to, to the point where... And that that is a sin. Mm -hmm. What most, what Christian men do not realize is that that is a sin. That goes mm -hmm. completely against the Bible. Mm -hmm. But they don't want to call it out as such. And why is that? Because those churches have become commercial enterprises right now. So what's happened, remember I told you how, how feminism comes in through the culture, it alters the doctrine, and then eventually it's going to alter the faith. Um, what happens is because churches and synagogues and whatever else are ultimately at some point are going to be a uh, a, a commercial enterprise because of that they don't dare go against it because if they do then women leave the church and they go find somewhere else that they can listen that they're going to agree with these with, with whatever it is that they're saying so you see the message in the doctrine and you see this altering of the faith because the men who are supposed to be leading in these churches don't challenge women they would they don't dare because if they don't then the money doesn't come in because women are the primary consumers in the in western culture anyways again we're talking about christianity here so let's just we'll just keep I'll stay that's that why jesus focus. that's why jesus if he were walking in the flesh today every one of these churches he would get mm -hmm. angry and go and turn everything over i mean the church has become cirque du soleil meets mm -hmm. movies <laughs> that's good i hadn't thought meets, about that way meets cirque concerts Meets I'm going to add Tony that, Robbins. Though. It's just yeah. it's entertainment, so that <laughs> I can go in there and uh, as a woman and feel like that I am close to God. Mm -hmm. I don't get closer to God. I mean, like I said, I, I go to churches with people out of courtesy. They invite me, mm -hmm. and um, but I don't get anything from that experience. My mm -hmm. relationship with God is right here all mm -hmm. the time, twenty four seven, and yeah, it's 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 entertainment and also. Um, I've mentioned this guy before. This dude, Dean Odell, D-E-A-N-O-D-L-E. -E. Every man should find this dude. But he uh, mm -hmm. he was a hellion when we were in junior high and high school. I mean, um, he reached out to me um, back in 2010 and told me, you're going to die if you don't leave L.A. I'm like, dude, i got some success here. I'm not mm -hmm. leaving L.A. And uh, he said, I'm just going to tell you, you're going to die if you don't leave L.A. But anyway, this guy has a church in Opelika, Alabama, where I grew up now. Mm -hmm. He became a Christian early on. He, he uh, had this, a lot of the same opportunities I did, but he um, had an experience with Jesus. Anyway, his church, uh, that he doesn't support his family from the church, even though he's the, the pastor. Mm -hmm. He um, fixes bathrooms and kitchens with, uh, with the associate pastor at the church. It's a very mm -hmm. small church, but he doesn't hold back on anything that's in the Bible. But, um, you know, and all the churches is, I'm invited to are holding that, back. That's really tough to do. And I'm glad you brought that up, too, because I see like I talk to guys on Dal Rock's forum or his on his comment threads and stuff. And I have I have encountered guys who have tried. They've said, you know what? I'm going to go against that grain. I am going to start a men's group, and we're going to talk about red pill topics. I mean, maybe not getting laid or anything like that, but they're going to talk about, you know, uh, 
red pill masculinity and and i think that there is sort of this crisis of masculinity in the church in the christian church right now and so you'll see guys who will hyper uh masculinize themselves but they do so in sort of like this parody of masculinity they they think that they're in like i i was watching one of the one of part of the research i did for this book is uh there is uh a group called the men's encounter or something like that and they use like uh like clips from the movie 300 as sort of a a, a recruitment tool to get these guys to go hey come on out and we're going to do a weekend out here and in, in the woods or wherever we're going and i i i talk to these guys and I go what what do you actually do at these things like how does this you know how does this work out i was actually interested in going just so i could take notes you know for a weekend and do a little bit of research for the book and they're like oh we just get together and we just have we talk and we pray and we talk and we pray and i'm like you don't like don't you go fishing do you throw a ball around well, what you know what because what, i because you know me and i've written a, several essays about this is like men women talk and men do and it struck me right then is that that there's a crisis of masculinity within the church right now because men don't know how to be men they don't know how to interact with other men they don't they they're uncomfortable with it they they you know and so it, it ends up becoming this kind of uh this kind of sitcom understanding of what masculinity is. And so, um, and it's always in casual deference to the feminine. So when you go to the men's encounter, then you have to ask your wife, is it okay, honey, if I go to the men's encounter, you know, and That's they make it, and they make That's it, they sin. make it, they make it cute and they make it funny and they make you, because these guys are so used to self deprecation and deference to the feminine that they laugh at that because it's just it's just the way they are it's just part of you know their personalities that they've invested in you know they've invested themselves in the feminine imperative for so long and so you've got this element going on in the church at that time while at the same time you've got you've got someone like Beth Moore coming in there and wanting to actually be the leader of that particular church whatever it is that she's doing and and which flies in the face of scripture of course which is that you know women are not to teach men and so that is that is a, a this is really good I, and I, I got into this in the book as well that is an impair or an impediment to women coming in and assimilating the church and assimilating the message of the church that one part of the faith remember what we talked about how how church culture influences the doctrine and then the doctrine influences the faith well there's that one part of the faith that still says women you can't teach you can't come up here at the only men are allowed to do this only men are allowed to to teach other to to uh preach the word of god right in fact uh according to paul you shouldn't even have your head uncovered when you go in there much less wearing some sundress and our sun hat and whatever it else the hell is you're coming in there you know dressed as but that's not me being i'm okay i'm not like i don't i don't have any i don't got a dog in this fight right i mean i yeah, we're like, not pushing we're not pushing yeah. that, but but that's I don't have what the a, Bible you, says. But that is question, what, yeah. and so exactly, exactly. You have to you have to go home and ask your if you have a question about the faith, you are to consult your husband because your husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader of your family. And you better damn well marry the right guy or a guy you have some respect for, a guy who understands it. Because if you've got questions, he's the one you're gonna be going to to get to get those answers from. And so what I see right now is that that 
the cultural aspect is is filtering its way into the doctrine, but there's that one part of the faith where that says you are not allowed to do this, and that is what they're actively targeting right now, and big names are targeting it. And so you will see what I think is funny is like when I go and I lock horns with somebody like Sheila Gregoire or her her daughter or the or the women that follow along with her. They want to say I'm a misogynist. They want to say, probably say you're a misogynist. They want to say that you are um, because you don't believe that Jesus was a feminist. And then they'll give you some some list of reasons why they believe he was a feminist or he was all about that. What I'm seeing is this push to, well, feminize the religion. And of course, what I'm seeing now as well is that the church has become actively hostile to men in general. There's nothing for men in the mainstream churches today. Um, that particular, and again, we we're talking about Christianity here. So anybody who wants to talk about other stuff, we can get to that later. But um, I see that guys are not going to be want to be a part. I think most of the men that you find in church today are were raised in the church, or they were dragged there by their wives. And it's women who are making the decisions to spend to you know they're they're the ones who are signing the tithe checks to these it's to these really commercial enterprises right now. And so the men who are in there um, have to cater the message to the women. And part of that is, eh, maybe it's okay if you, uh, if you teach, well, let's go have, uh, let's go have Beth up here and see, you'll see what she can do. And she can speak uh, sister Beth, come and speak whatever the Lord gave you today. You know, that kind of stuff is, not part of the orthodox faith of Christianity, but they want to bend that rule or they want to find workarounds around that. And if you, if I'm like, I'm just, again, I'm just doing this from an objective perspective, but like your friend who wants to stick to that or any of the guys who I've talked to on Dalrock's comment threads who've tried to do this have been excommunicated from the church, have been asked to leave, have had their men's groups disbanded, um, and usually at the behest of the wives of the church elders. So uh, one of the guys, and I forget the dude's name now, but there's a, about six years, four or five, well, maybe five years, let's just say five years back, there was a guy who was relating this, this experience he had in his church where he tried to do that. He tried to have a, uh, a real honest-to-goodness men's group where they were talking about things from a red pill perspective and there was no, we weren't pulling punches or anything. And they were talking about the nature of women and they were talking about the, that women actually have a sin nature. And just to say that was enough to get him ostracized from the, from the church. So it's, wow. it's really dangerous times right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, God's got expectations that you are a red pill man. If you're not, you're in sin. It's like Saul not the one in the New Testament, but the one in the Old Testament. He's supposed to go into this land and kill all these people and all the animals, everything. Don't mm -hmm. don't keep anything for yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, he, uh, after that, God pulled the spirit from him, and the way he died was uh, scary and miserable. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the problem. Is you know, I, I have a lot of Christians who are on me about this because of uh, the language in your books, mm -hmm. but this is the only way to bring more men to Jesus Christ because they're not finding strong men uh, or strong uh, masculine teaching in any church except mm. for just a few, like the one I was telling you about, um, mm. Dean Odell. I, I'm not there in, uh, in the city where I grew up, but uh, I mm -hmm. watch him on YouTube all the time. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't find anybody else that is supporting his ministry, but mm-hmm. not from asking for tithes, but mm-hmm. for, but by doing actual work. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got a full-time job. So there is one, and I'm glad you're talking about it. So like I was saying, it's really kind of dangerous for guys to even, to even ask the wrong questions because it puts women in a bad light. Now, Dalrock's actually written about this on in several of his essays, which is um, how we want to ignore women's sin and we want to focus on guys. Like here's, here's the thing is a lot of guys will agree with you, Sam. They will say, like particularly these these guys who want to use the manosphere as their ministry to recruit men back to whatever church it is that they're doing. I, there's a lot of guys right now um, who um, who see the manosphere as sort of their niche, right? So they can they well, where do all the men go? They're here in the manosphere. Let's go there and let's let's see if we can get these guys to come back to church. Um, one of the reasons why everybody thought Jordan Peterson was so great, and, and when I came down on Peterson, when I and I was I was critical of Peterson before it was cool to be critical of P, uh, Jordan Peterson. Um, everybody threw rocks at me. Because he's like, well, he's getting guys to go back to church again, or I got interested in 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 religion again because of Jordan Peterson. I go, first of all, Jordan Peterson is not a not a Christian. Okay, he's very analytical about stuff, and maybe he is, but he's been very hesitant to say. In fact, and on several occasions, he's denied actually believing in the resurrection or any of that stuff. So, so you know, when you bring that out, but a lot of people want us; they want that. Like, um, I think that. We have to, if we're going to talk about religion and the red pill, we have to also talk about the generation of lost boys that are out there right now. This millennial generation of guys are like hungry for direction. And there's enough guys, then there's plenty of guys online. It's never been easier because of the internet. It has never been easier to give these guys, uh, either a false direction or a good direction, whatever you want to call it. And so when I was like, when I was talking about uh, Jordan Peterson, sort of in a negative light about that, people came down on me as if I had in some way insulted their savior, their Messiah, because I was critical of the guy. And I think that's part of, again, the zeitgeist, the, the, the spirit of the times right now, um, that there is at least two generations right now of what we call the lost boys. And I've talked about this several times on rule zero about how um, these guys are looking for direction and they're looking for like, people want to say, Oh, I'm looking for meaning. And you're not looking for, you're looking for direction. And you're looking for purpose. You can find meaning later on, but you don't even know which way you want to go right now. And so that is the market for lack of a better term. That is the market that, um, that the the guys who are like sort of the tradcon guys from the the old church want to use to come bring guys back in because they again they see that men are abandoning the church and they don't want to see why that is because there's nothing for them in the church and the stuff that they try to set up to get people to come back into the church isn't working the mma fighting you know for christ isn't working okay the the um you know the men's encounter stuff isn't working you're just still talking to the same you know six or eight guys who are going to show up all the time anyway most of the pastors are males so Mm -hmm. they don't have any problem with having uh, a harem of women come on they they love having a, a place Filled with women. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And then that's, and that's another thing is when you've got blue pill, <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up. When you've got blue pill 
guys who are placating to the feminine imperative. They are hastening the power transfer from the the you know the male side, the, the doctrinally sound, the faith sound, um, scripturally sound idea that men are to be the ones who are in in positions of authority within the church. You're hastening the idea that women need to come in and and take that over. Um, I think what is it, uh, something like eighty, and this is I was reading this for my research. Something like eighty or eighty-five percent of all new missionaries right now are female. I don't know if uh, if you are aware of stuff like that. There are very few male missionaries anymore because men are more focused on because they have to be. They're more focused on themselves and they're more focused on their own success and their own businesses and doing that because that's the only way they're going to get laid and that's the only way they're going to start a family and it's not going to be going and spreading the word or the gospel. It's going to be, you know, being a, a leader of industry. It's going to be being a guy who's going to, you know, have something that a woman is going to want. So we read all these other articles about how men aren't economically attractive, but yet the same women who are going out into missionary fields are going to be the same women who are going to complain that there are no men, there aren't any good men, there aren't any good economically available men. All of that stuff that I talk about, everything I talk about in the red pill and in the manosphere and on this channel and on my blog and in my books, all of that trickles down into other aspects of, of, well, certainly Western culture, but like into different aspects of society. And one of those, of course, is religion. So the woman who is in the church is just as hypergamous as the woman who's in the clubs. It's just as much as a woman who's, uh, you know, uh, dancing on tables at the strip club, okay? That woman's nature doesn't change. It's just it's in a different context. And guys' nature doesn't change either. So you've got guys who are in a position of leadership in these churches who listen to women. They listen to them because they want, because they've learned to to play beta game, right? To identify with the feminine, to uh, to want to empower the feminine. They believe in the fempowerment narrative. They watch all the Disney movies and they watch Brave and they watch Moana and they watch you know Mulan and they go, oh, we need to really lift our ladies up and we'll give them a flower on Mother's Day. We need to we we need to fempower them, but at the same time we need to tell men to man up. And so you get a guy like you're saying, it's it's almost like a soft harem. He's not getting laid, but he's getting all that attention from the females in the congregation who are building him up and he thinks that he's doing it right. And so that was that's one part I wanted to talk about. The other part is this is that what happens is in doing so that guy establishes this new hierarchy from within the church. And that is it used to be here's this the biblical way is it's God and then man and then the woman and then the child and then the puppy dog. Okay, so that's that's the established hierarchy from within the Bible, from within the church itself. Well, what these guys are doing because of this new paradigm within the church, they're putting God and then women and then men. If then, if not, no, actually they're not. It's it's God, women, children, and then the man, and then puppy dogs, maybe. Um, but so what that does is it just it completely um, removes any authority from that man. We've and I've talked about this several times on on various shows. Is that we we expect a hundred percent responsibility from men, and we give them zero percent authority. And that is how it's done, is by play, by making a woman the mediator between God and man. 
and I've I've said this before is that uh, it, yeah, just to use a, a maybe I'm stupid, maybe, but I I think that women have become sort of the new um, Pharisees, right? You had to go to the Pharisees to get to the to get to the to get to God to have sort of an audience with God. You had to go through a mediary so that you could talk to God. And that's how the Jews of old used to, am I right, Pharisees or Sadducees? I can't remember which one it was. Um, but there's a mediary between the two. And that, and just like what you're saying, well, I don't need a church. I can talk to God right here. What mainstream Christian religion is teaching at this point is that women are the crowning glory of God. And if a woman is not happy, then God isn't happy. If your wife isn't having sex with you, it means that God's not happy with what you're doing. If the woman is not, um, if, if, if you have trouble in your marriage, um, if she's nagging and she's upset with you or she doesn't think you're doing the things the right way, it's because she knows better than you. She knows God's mind better than you do. So you should listen to your wife because if you don't, you're not listening to the Lord. And Dalrock has written about this quite a bit um, because there's movies about this. I think there's like the war room was one of them and like fireproof was another one. It's like all the Kendrick brother movies and they all follow that same narrative that the woman is right and the man is fallen and that he has the sin nature and the woman does not because she's the mediary. She's the one who's interpreting the word of God. And really that's, I mean, maybe I'm wrong in interpreting this way, but it seems like that is taking the Lord's name in vain, right? Wouldn't it be? Absolutely. And Christian men have no more excuse now that your books, there are three books that you've written. You can get them as Kindles, audiobooks, and paperbacks. Put that plug um, in there. Yeah. No, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I mean, uh, oh this That's is okay. what Sam, I, Sam always, I, Sam always plays. Just so anybody knows, Sam always plugs my books. So, so I, I, our books, just, right? Yeah. I, there's so many Christian men that I've known in my past who continue to reach out to me, which I'm so thankful they do because I, mm -hmm. I tell them you have to, you have to understand that you have just been hit by a train and you've been in a coma for six months. Now you need to rise again as a man. And you're not going to do that unless you pick up Rollo's books because you get the basics. In the first book, you get the basics. What you're talking about a, a few minutes ago about um, in the workplace, the dude needs to make more money. You know, mm -hmm. the, the church isn't teaching these guys this. The church mm -hmm. isn't teaching him that because he's uh, not going, I, I had never thought about the fact that women in their brain are thinking, well, he's going to the gym, he's getting in shape. Mm -hmm. um, he, he may be thinking about leaving me, which, you know, is competition anxiety. I knew nothing about any of that stuff. And so every Christian man, if he will just take the time to utilize your, your books as um, reference books, it's like a doctor that has to go back to the medical reference books. And on the church, I wanted to mention that, remember, they're all 501c3s in this country. They're all uh, nonprofits, which means they are governed by a higher power. And if they start to tell the truth, if they start to talk about things you're talking about from the Bible, then they're going to, um, that pastor is going to end up accused of uh, sexual harassment or having an affair. We're already um, seeing that. Yeah. It's going to be out. I mean, this happened um, in the, in the Southern Baptist church in Opelika, Alabama that I was reared in. He was speaking way too much truth. And then he was accused of having an affair of one of my class uh, with one of my classmates, uh, moms.
and he was gone. And that dude, I mean, he was actually telling the truth from the Bible. Mm -hmm. And again, this is so important. Mm -hmm. Jesus released us from having to be in the church. The church is you. You are the church as you walk through life and you are fed by listening to the Bible audiobook or by reading it every day and learning from pastors like Chuck Swindoll. His sermons from the 70s are the best. And then um, Dean Odell. You are the church. The building is a place that makes money. It's money changers. And a lot of these big churches, those people have multi-million dollar houses. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's it's. Yeah. I mean, it's Cirque du Soleil, like well, I said. It's I I see um, particularly within women's ministry right now. I see a lot of that same dynamic happening. There is, there is this idea, like because of the internet, we there's a whole new paradigm for like religious, you know, outreach. I guess um, and there used to be a time, and and you real like you're you're older than me so you understand that like back in the day back in the 80s back in the 90s if you were to go to church you were going to go there and you're going to hear hear the message or whatever and that was it now a, a a pastor has to be a personality he has to be able to have a blog he has to be able to be available to his congregation he has to and then you have to have an online presence because if you don't you're not competitive you can't be the enterprise that that you need to be to keep the lights on right to keep the to grow as a church or whatever and so you have to play the game now and i don't think that that pastors are really used to having critiques they're not used to having um uh old school pastors anyways probably in the newer newer path like the youth like millennial pastors right now probably are a little bit more open to this but i i think that they're kind of they're they're veering off in a different direction, but I think that a lot of the old school guys like Chuck Swindoll, for instance, or Focus on the Family, that kind of stuff, they are they come from an old paradigm that was not used to having crit criticism, not having to answer questions, particularly in real time. So, you know, maybe he can go do a radio show and take a few call-ins, but that was the end of it. Now a pastor has to be available 24 7 and you have to constantly you, you've got to, if you're going to make your church work you've got to make it work like a business and so who's the primary consumer in society right now that's women and that's why you see these women's ministry like one as part of the research i was doing for the book there is a huge like global enterprise of women's ministry teachers they don't call them pastors or anything because you can't really call them pastors ways around that but it's like women it's again the barrier to entry is so low that any woman can do this and so you'll go to like orlando florida and there'll be like some some you know four-day convention of some sorts where all of these women come together and they all have blogs they all have because you can self-publish right so everybody has a book um they all have a, a podcast they all are um they go from church to church as speakers and and they, for all intents and purposes, they may as well be a pastor already. They may as well be, um, you know, because they're just there. Like maybe they're the guest pastor, or maybe they actually have their own church. And so I want, like, we're 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 coming up on on I've uh, got about a half an hour left here, and I I, de I definitely wanted to talk about this topic with you, because this is the end of my book, and this was 
I, I, it, I'm glad I held off. And you told me the same thing as you said, I'm glad you held off because I, I came to this conclusion late in the writing of the book. And it is that we are, I, I think for a little big picture right now, we are seeing the mainstream religions right now. And I'm not talk, just talking about Christianity. I'm talking about like other ones as well, but we're seeing them assimilate. I don't want to say infiltrated because they're not being infiltrated. They're being assimilated by the feminine imperative through women because we've empowered women to, to, you know, be those religious authorities to come into the churches and change the nature of those churches, change the doctrine, change the faith. And yes, are there Orthodox faiths? Yes, of course. But here's the thing is like, gradually little by little generation a generational changes you're going to see i think in the future you're going to see more and more women taking over these old mainstream religions and then so so if they do that right like i i mentioned uh prior to well, prior to you coming on today i was talking about the the one i forget her name but she's the 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 pastor pastoress i guess who has all the tattoos she looks like a biker chick and she melted down the purity rings i can't remember her name and she took all those the the melted down purity rings and she turned them into a big statuette of a big vagina and then gave it to like gloria steinem in some sort of like ceremony or whatever and it was almost like this official entry of feminism into let's see she's i believe she's lutheran so into the lutheran church episcopalians have had you know gay ministers and female ministers for forever unitarian women have been in a part of that that church for forever um you're starting to see this more and more in presbyterian churches right now with the the sort of mega church presbyterian women who come in as preachers who then say well god is not the only or excuse me uh, christ is not the only way to god um God is not a man and fundamentally changing the nature of the faith to better accommodate the feminine imperative. I, I have said this a million different times, but the, the Holy Spirit, however you want to interpret that, the Holy Spirit has been replaced by the feminine imperative so that we look to, because like I was saying before, we have changed the religion so that women are the mediary between man and God. And so when we do that, what do women do once they have that authority? Where do they take the religion once they have established themselves as the authority, as the leadership, as whatever it is? Once they have control over those mainstream religions, where do they go with those? And so the answer is that they take those religions and they turn them into like a unitary, unitarian kind of religion that is not based on on the old faith it's based on this new faith and i'm gonna i'm gonna really kind of bake your noodle here today because i just sort of came across that i just sort of came up with this the other day is I, I think i was listening to god sod or i was listening to, i was reading hector garcia's book uh, alpha god and what what the this is a a, a principle at least i think for ev evolutionary psychology so when we were living in these little tribal units when we were um living in uh, hunter-gatherer tribes and a snake would kill one of the children or a snake would, would, you know, poisonous snake would kill a woman. That snake was embodied with sort of a supernatural power. Like it wasn't the actual snake. It was the power of the snake that took the life of the baby, that took the life of the woman. So what happens is we, we build that fear into supernatural 
supernatural things, right? So it's not, it's no longer fear of the dark. It's a fear of the spirits in the forest that live in the dark, right? And so that's when we're living in these sort of localized hunter-gatherer tribes. Well, what happens is then as those tribes get bigger and expand into like city-states, into nations and stuff, then we need uh, bigger gods. We need, uh, we need Zeus. We need Odin. We need uh, a pantheon of gods because now each one of those gods has their own little realm. So there's Aphrodite and she's the god of sex and, and, and love and blah, blah, blah. And then there's Athena and she's wisdom and there's Zeus and he's always the biggest badass. Now, of course, it's always a masculine, uh, you know, uh, greater god who is the, the king of the gods, but there's still a pantheon and it's still sort of each one has their archetypal realm. So that's when society is at a certain volume or a certain, certain size. And then when, we get into nations when we get into like, okay, now we're going to have the nation of the United States and, and France and all this. So now you have nations. And now what, what, then this is the theory, I'm not saying this is true or not, but I'm just saying this is the theory is that once we get to a certain population size and the world becomes less of a mystery to us, now we just have room for one God. And there's only ever one God and there's only ever one, one unitary, you know, God. And that God, of course, is still male. <clears throat> and and a really great book. I got it right here. It's uh, it's called Alpha God by Hector Garcia. Really good book. I'm I'm about halfway through it right now, and it's it's fascinating stuff. I, he really leans a lot towards the feminist and so it's all men's fault kind of thing. But how he gets there is really fascinating. Um, but so now we're in these big nations. Now it's it's we we're we're like turn of the century, right? We're in the 1900s, maybe it's the 20th century, right? So we only have room for one God. And so maybe there's the God of, of the Old Testament. There's a God of the New Testament. There's the, then there's Allah. And then maybe there's, um, you know, whatever, you know, Eastern philosophies that you want to believe in. So, so there's only one like monotheistic God. But what comes after that? Now that we, excuse me, now that we have globalism, now that we, we can fly from one side of the planet to the next side of the planet, and now that we have become more of a we're becoming a more of a unitary society what what does god look like in a one world government in a one world religion in a one religion that serves a global community what does that look like and i'm i'm going to go out on here's my opinion on that is that you're going to see a coming up soon maybe even within the next decade you're going to see a one world religion that is based on women's understanding of what it should be in hector garcia's book here he makes the case that the god that we know of abrahamic religions is an alpha male because it was a religion based on a patriarchy based on guys based on the men who are interpreting the word of god and so we relate to who god is in the masculine because it was men who were in control of the religion what does god look like when women control the religion what does it look like when it's a matriarchy how does that work and i'll tell you what that here's my theory and this is how i sort of end the book how do how does it go from the alpha god from from the male god from the from the this the nation state god to the global female god what does it look like then and i'll tell you right now one of the reasons why we're seeing the transition 
right now in mainstream religion because mainstream religion is being assimilated by the feminine. So what happens is you get things like the um, what is it the the Beyonce uh, <laughs> the Beyonce uh, what is it the worship session that they had in San Francisco or you'll get like or you'll get uh, what's her name making you know melting down purity rings and turning it into uh, the a, a vagina right. What does it look like? Well, I think you're going to see it sort of morph into a more feminine, like God will be more feminine, and then it might be more neutral. It might not be feminine or not, but I, I, you're already seeing women trying to lean away from calling God he, capital H, he, to it, to just God, you know, a sexless God. And that's why you get a woman such as that one uh, Presbyterian uh, pastor who is saying that, first of all, God, or excuse me, Christ is not the only way to heaven, and God is not masculine. And maybe you have, maybe you can, can convince me otherwise, but as far as the faith, as far as the Christian faith that you profess is concerned, God is in the masculine, and it always has been in the masculine. So because that's how we relate to God, I understand that there's human limitations. So if, if we were all horses, our God would look like a horse. If we were all fish, our God would look like a fish or something like that. Okay, so we understand things as human beings based on our experience of the world. And so God to us is going to look like a person. It's going to be like, that's how we relate. He would, if, he's, if he's omniscient, he has to be uh, at least our equal. He has to be at least our equal and above our equal, but he has to at least be able to relate to us in, in a human fashion. Um, now Hector Garcia goes into this and says, Hey, look, the, the only reason this religion is the way that it is, is because it's based on, uh, patriarchal societies. And so God is an alpha male. What does it look like when that, when a, when God is a woman, what, it, what does that look like? And I will tell you this, and this is how I ended the, uh, I'm ending the book is you are going to see a new one world religion. It's going to be ushered in by women. It's going to be ushered in by pastors that have assimilated the, uh, the mainstream churches. And it's going to be called love is what it's going to be called. It's going to say, it's going to be like, if you don't believe in these, like, well, God is love, right? I mean, it says that in the Bible. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're, uh, if you're Islamic, it doesn't matter if you're Jew, it doesn't matter if you're Krishna, it doesn't matter if it, because all of this is going to be this one world globalized, multicultural, multi societal um, idea of a, a maybe an androgynous God, or if not a mother God, because that we're, we're prioritizing and we are making women's experience the global experience we want to they want to talk about the cult of the child we want to prioritize everything for the kids when it's really just sort of uh, you know smoke and it's, it's really squidding to you know raise up women in in a in a matriarchal you know feminine gynocentric society so what i ask is this and maybe you know something scripturally that i don't know because you're probably a better bible scholar than i am but is there something like say in revelations or in eschatology where we should be aware of women and children i know that this is old testament because i know there's a, a scripture for this but women and children will rule over you um is there something in in you were just saying you, you believe we're in the end times is there something scriptural that aligns with what i'm proposing here well <clears throat> the bible says that in the end times it's going to be like it was in the days of noah 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that's exactly what we're seeing is um, all of the, uh, the multi-gender thing that's going on. And um, uh, it just common sense, people are easier to control. When you put enmity between men and women, mm-hmm. which is rampant now, that's what's being pushed from, from every angle, including most of the churches. When you put enmity between people, and uh, genders, races, every category of uh, demographics, then people are easily controlled. And so what that, what that God is going to be is an antichrist. And mm-hmm. that is going to be a man, and we have no idea when that's coming, but that man is going to be a man of peace and mm-hmm. safety. It's all going to be about peace and safety. It's exactly what you're saying. These, these are things that would be written by women because they want that unity and uh, let's all be together and let's love each other. And there are other ways to heaven. Mm-hmm. The Bible is very clear that there's only one way. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, let's see. I, I, we're coming up on 15 minutes. You guys, if you have any questions or if you have any comments um, that you want to get in on as a super, please throw it out to me now. If I missed any of them, like I, I don't have Sam to watch my, uh, my super chats on this one. So like, I, I probably missed a few of these things. I'm going to see if I can go back and see if anybody is. Has asked and the local anything. pastor, Rolo, the local mm-hmm. pastor is a celebrity. Mm-hmm. That's what's happened. Mm-hmm. You know, people, have been conditioned yeah. e-celebrity yeah for a celebrity culture everything is a celebrity culture mm-hmm. including the church yeah well, i got one here hold on here uh, john alba saying thoughts on spinning plates as a red pill aware christian conflicted about abstinence before marriage forces men to rush into marriage t- uh too early uh what's what's the thoughts on that um i'll tell you my thoughts on this is and and i'll let uh I'll let, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little latency here. Uh, I'll let uh, Sam pick up on this as well. But um, when I wrote The Rational Mail, I wasn't writing it from a Christian perspective. I was writing it from a very like analytical, ob- objective perspective, the best I could, could do at the time anyways. And I, I, I still think that no matter, and I added this, like I said, as a caveat to, um, to one of the, to iron rule number three is that if you are a Christian guy, um, you still need to practice non-exclusivity. You still need to make yourself your mental point of origin. And that's a, and, and maybe this is a point I'm, I, this is not the first time I've ever heard of this. Um, Sam, people have thrown this one at me as well. Um, but like, how do you reconcile the sexual nature of the red pill? Because a red pill was derived from pickup archery, was derived from from uh, from game. You know, guys want to get laid. That's they, really that's why most guys find the red pill is because either they're trying to find a way to get laid, or they're trying to find a way to get their wives to you know come back and they're in a dead bedroom and they want to have sex with their wives and they want to figure out why it is that they can. I think that in those cases, you need to approach the red pill from an analytical stance. If you are, if your convictions, if your honest red or your honest religious convictions are that you don't believe in premarital sex, and I understand why premarital sex exists. I don't think it's tenable, but I do understand why there is that rule. 
um, for, for a variety of reasons. We know that when women have uh, multiple sex partners, that they have a harder time uh, forming um, long-term positive, long-term healthy attachments to, to men. We know that the incidence of divorce is higher for women who have multiple partners. We also happen to know, and I'm sorry, ladies, but this is the way it works, is that men don't seem to have that problem. So if men have multiple partners, they don't have as difficult, if any difficulty, in uh, forming long-term attachments. They say, well, that's really convenient. Well, it is because that's just the way we're made. That's just how we evolved, how we we're made, whatever you want to call it. Um, men and women are different, but that doesn't mean that you don't, that doesn't mean that you don't try, right? That doesn't mean if you, if those are your convictions, if that's how you are, great. Accept that for what it is from in a secular sense and say, how can I use this? What is the underlying message in all of this? And really the underlying message of that rule is for, uh, iron rule number, number three, um, is that you understand the nature of desire. It's not that the woman is not having sex with you. It's that she can't keep her hands off of you. That woman, like, let's just say for sake of argument, you're a, a young 19-year-old Christian guy and you don't want to have sex with your, your girlfriend or whatever. Um, but there should still be the desire, not only for you to want to have sex with her, but for her to want to have sex for you that's so intense that you want to give up your convictions so that you can be with each other. It's not like you trying to talk a woman into it or anything like that. It's that you are the, the desire dynamic between you and her is that intense. And so really what, what that rule is meant to the, the lesson behind that rule, the latent message in that thing is that does it's genuine desire is what you should be aiming for, whether you're taking that to completion and actually having sex or you're not, it's the desire that matters between the two people. So, Keep that in mind. So spinning plates, you still want to, you can spin plates. In fact, I've said this many times. People just seem, don't seem to get it is that you can spin plates and not have sex with the plates that you have. It's that you're dating these women and you're dating them non-exclusively. So if Sally won't meet you on a Friday night, you've already got Michelle over here. And so you that way you don't get over invested in one woman. And that's another thing that I think is biblical is that guys today are so invested in the feminine that they will give up their religion just so that they can get their soulmate, just so that they can they can facilitate their one-itis. That's another thing that I think. I think this is that if your if your conviction is I'm not going to have sex before marriage, or if your conviction is I'm going to get married and and uh, that's the that's the end result. You you owe it to yourself to be as red pill aware as you possibly can because the the margin of error is way lower if, if because you. Obviously, we talk, I talk about this all the time, is that marriage is a bum rap or bum deal for guys right now, the way we do it now. I got into a, I got into a real debate with Dr. Everett Piper about this. And I said, why don't, why, okay, fine. If, if marriage is the only way to have sex, fine. Why, why bring the state into it? Why bother, you know, can we have a, uh, what, what do they call it, a covenant? A co can we have a covenant marriage? Can we do that? He didn't want, he, he still wanted to defend having the regular, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, well, because there's not enough control. There's no, because that when you pull the state out of marriage, <laughs> um, you pull women out of marriage, you pull women's element of control out of marriage. And I, and again, like what we were talking about before people, men who are leaders in the church, I'm not necessarily, this is Dr. Piper, but like there's men in the church who won't, 
who won't say go with a covenant marriage. They will say go with a regular marriage because, you know, uh, because that's just the way you should do it. That's the way God wants you to do it. Where um, if you're going to do that, if that's your only option, you need to know all of these. You need to be red pill aware because if you're not, you're going to make a decision based on faulty information that's fed to you by guys who are in the church who you think is coming. You think that information is coming from the mouth of God. So if you're a young man and you believe that, you need to be red pill aware because the guys who are your church leaders, they don't, first of all, they don't know how to relate as men. And then second of all, they are taking their, their word of God through a mediary of the feminine imperative. So you need to know this stuff going forward. You need to have that because the margin for error is, is way, way too great. And there'll be guys who are going to just say, well, fine, I'm going to, yeah, yeah, you're right, Tucson Razorback. Yeah, Islam is growing. Why is Islam growing right now? Because it is still a religion that has a, a, has a greater degree of control over what's going on in mainstream religion right now. I think it's being etched away slower than other religions, but certainly still being etched away. And I think you're going to see uh, in the next decade, you're going to see um, how women in, uh, in, the Muslim, in Muslim societies are going to be, uh, again, taking secular Western feminism and incorporating it into their, their social, the social side of their religion and then trying to incorporate that in. Now, of course, is that going to fly with Orthodox Islam? Probably not, but less Orthodox it might. You know, we're already seeing like we even when we when we talk about like uh, Boko Haram, like when they go and they steal the girls, give us our girls back. That was the message. Remember, uh, Michelle Obama was was they, they were all up in arms because Boko Haram had taken like 200 girls as like, you know, war bride, essentially war brides. Um, they Boko Haram has been recruiting child soldiers for something like 20 some odd years we don't see any any uh you know move, give us our boys back we don't you don't there's nothing like that you know, barack obama's not saying give us our boys back we want our girls back because we prioritize girls above all of that well that's another aspect of all of of how that social like western feminism incorporates itself into um into islamic relations or in islamic um uh, well, religion, really. Um, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, I think, with um, uh, the guy. Oh, I forget the guy's names, but the, the, my, my uh, Muslim guests will, will be discussing that as well. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about? Um, we're coming up on two hours. Thank you, um, Sam, for joining me on all of this. Is there anything you wanted to throw out there before we go? I, I do need to do a little bit of uh, housekeeping here. I, I'm going to be on, um, uh, I will be on with Pat Campbell on his Friday show. That's going to be um, at, it's at a new time now. It's 10 a.m. Eastern on Fridays. That's two hours later than I usually am on there. I just want to make sure that everybody knows about that. Um, and so, uh, I don't know what our topics are going to be. We're still going to be doing uh, rule zero. I think I'm hosting unless John wants to, wants to step in and take over hosting duties. I think he might be busy, but, uh, I'm going to host rule zero this weekend on Saturday. Uh, if that's not the case. So look on this channel, it will be, uh, 1130 AM Eastern time. And then on Sunday, uh, Pat and I will be, uh, Pat will be back again and we'll be doing uh, Rational Mail 101 once again. 
And then, of course, this show, which is every Wednesday um, at 3 p.m. Pacific, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern. And this is the variety show of Raul Tomah. This is Rolo Solo. Um, Just know that mm-hmm. we are in we are nearing the end times. And uh, I don't believe that we're going to be taken out of here before all of the tribulation. I think we're going to be left here, but we will be protected unless we're martyred. And I do believe that there is a mark of the beast. I don't know what it's going to be, but to Christian men, do not take it. You're not going to be able to work or buy anything or sell Mm. anything, but do not take it because that is a taking over of you, your mind. I think we're already seeing that right now. Um, I think we're already, because right now, like think about it this way, really just real quick, Sam, how easy it is to ruin a man's reputation and to ruin a man uh, just on allegations and suspicions to the point where he can no longer work so that he can no longer get a job because online, all it takes is one employer to go and say, oh, we're not hiring that guy. He, he has these allegations or something like that. I don't even think you necessarily, well, maybe, maybe there will be a mark, but I think right now you're already seeing how that would be possible. I'm sorry, go ahead. And what you've just described mm-hmm. through this is, is exactly what the Bible says. I mean, people, people are going to get to the point which they are now where they're going to want to hear what they want to hear. And that's why all of the churches, the buildings with the famous pastors, that is why they are catering to what people want to hear. They don't care that the men are gone. The pastors don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't. And because we're seeing, again, this this female assimilation of those churches. And then, of course, what... What I see happening, and this is—I I don't want to get—I don't want to give away too much of the book, but what I see happening is that this new one-world religion, where all is one kind of thing, it would be based on what women want to call love. So if you don't follow this religion, you're a hater because the opposite of love is hate, right? And so if you don't follow along, if you—the only like the way to get to heaven is a much more unitarian. Uh, Unitarian in scope than uh, than what has been practiced before, because you have this sectarian, uh, you know, tribalism. I guess between different religions, like the God of you know uh, the God of the Jews isn't the same as the God of uh, you know isn't Allah isn't this isn't that. What I think you're going to see, and I th- honestly, I think this is one of the reasons why uh, Krishna is such a popular new religion for Western women right now, is because it's based on that same love. It's like we're all we all just need to accept and love and tolerate each other, and and wouldn't it be great if we could all just get to heaven based on this love and this tolerance and this, um, uh, you know, this acceptance of everybody um, in spite of whatever you know and like i was saying before that one i wish i remembered her name but the one presbyterian uh pastor said you know that christ is not the way it's not the only way it's one way but it's not the only way well that's a bloody inconvenience when you have so many other people who are saying the same thing well wouldn't it be great if we could just like push all that off to the side and then uh, just loving each other and just accepting each other and just it's like this this religion of uh, which which they'll call it this is it will be a religion called love 
And it won't be love. That'll be the name of it. It'll just be do what we want you to do. This is your globalized religion. And I honestly think that it will be ushered in like we're seeing it right now. It's being ushered in by women in, in, uh, in mainstream religions right now. So Christian men, like Kant just said, have become the one-itis men. Mm-hmm. And the church is, uh, is manufacturing those men. And then you were talking about they see Jordan Peterson as their savior. And Jordan Peterson, I think he was chosen on purpose. I mean, he sounds like a girl. Mm. And uh, it's dangerous. And that's why, I, like I said before, I believe that God, whether or not you are following God, is not my concern. But God gave you um, all these you put you in all of these places and you're going to outwork anybody in anything you do. And the reason that you've been put in all these places to be able to observe and that God gave you a mind to connect the dots is because your work is bringing more men to Jesus Christ than anything outside of the Bible. When they pick it up in a hotel room, cause it's free. Mm-hmm. I, um, out- I want to I want to I want to sort of end with this question right here. This is Philip. He gave five bucks here. He says, "What's your take on why females are okay with Islam subjugating women, but are not okay with anything else? Is this one giant crap test on Western men?" Um, yes, yes, it is. Uh, what I here's here's my take on that. Why is it that women are okay with that? Is because that is the last holdout of conventional masculinity right now. Uh, Islam and, and Islamic guys will say this too. Uh, Islam is based on um, pol- uh, polygamy. It is ba- there's, uh, I, I think I'm going to ask my friends this. I, I believe that it's four wives is is what they can get. Um, four wives here or seventy virgins in heaven. I don't know exactly what the what the outline of that is, but the fact is is that women want that masculine dominance. That's part of female nature. Is they want a masculine guy who will you know who can take care of them, who can defend them, who has a capacity for violence, who has a capacity for provisioning, who who even though it seems like repression to them at the time there is still a benefit it's like beneficent uh, patriarchy i think is what I've, I've read it called is um women want that dominance and they're not getting it in western men right now they're certainly not getting it in the christian church and that's why that's why uh muslim men are laughing at christian men right now because the, i mean laugh now because eventually women are uh, the, the female imperative is going to etch away at that but um, but that's why women want that. They have a natural uh, um, affinity for masculine, conventionally masculine dominance. And the only place they see that happening is in Islam right now. So, so that's interesting to me. It's like I, 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 I always see these comparisons between Islam and Christianity. I, think, I don't think that's fair. I think you should compare Islam with like uh, the Krishna movement because that is almost entirely it, – it's so female primary – um, there's as to be there's there's no uh, at least in Christianity there's at least a semblance of some sort of masculinity left to it um, but in Chris in, in Hari Krishna's it's it's all one big femme fest so so anyways that's my take on it um, Sam thanks for joining me on this one this has been great um, we're coming up on two hours right now and uh, is there anything else you want to throw out there um, Sam, I, how are you doing anyways? I just wanted to ask you about that. Like, how is your, uh, how's your medical condition right now? I don't think a lot of people are really aware of what your medical condition is. Yeah. 
it's uh it's it's getting better every day thankfully um i'm i have i, I was referred to the only doctor with the cure and mm. so it's uh it's a, a few hours a day and in a doctor's office with um, IVs in my arm, but um, I, I'm looking forward to living a long life. And uh, it's impossible without um, people picking up your audiobooks. God, and there are three of them. But uh, I, I, there's no words to express my gratitude to, to you. And I, I also wanted to say to Christian men, just try to ignore the secular ness of Rolo's stuff and really try to master being the rational male that he that he lives out in his writings and in his life because that's what you're supposed to be as a Christian you're supposed to be a man and there are so few men left and uh, just with Rolo's work you can really do it and getting in the gym doing whatever it takes to make more money. And, um, and on the spinning plates thing, you don't have to sleep with any of them. But the spinning plates thing, you have to be honest with each of the plates, but the spinning plates thing is about building your confidence and um, when you're around women. And it's, it's a numbers game. So the more, it's just communicate with more women you don't even have to spend the plates in the beginning, but you have to become more confident around women. And Thanks. Rolo's work tells right. you. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for all that. Um, guys, if you are looking to in any way support the channel or support, uh, you know, help out, help out Sam, of course, too, um, uh, please go and have a look at the, the books. You'll find them on Amazon. Uh, all my contacts, if you want to support the show in any way, you can always go to the description in all of my videos. And in there, you'll find uh, how you can join Patreon. Um, I'm, I'm now on Facebook. I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking at the, the chat here. I've seen people who are watching on Facebook. Thanks. Um, and um, so uh, the other thing is this, is if you cannot financially support the show, that's fine. Um, I would very much appreciate uh, if you would go and give a good positive five-star review of any of the books that you feel deserves it. Uh, that will always help. And then, then finally, the best way to help the show is, of course, just to copy and paste the URL of this uh, of the YouTube uh, link and put it in any of your social media that you you would like, whether that's Facebook or um, or Twitter or anything, because that's how we can actually uh, uh, sort of get around the uh, the censorship that YouTube poses on us so uh please do that um thanks sam this has been fun and uh we'll see you guys next week thanks a lot